Hello and welcome to Off the Record. We are back this week. I went to Brooklyn this weekend. <laughs> Jesse told me to walk down one street and I got a little lost. He also said where I was walking to was only like 10 minutes. It took 20 minutes. What? And yeah, man. And I'm a fast walker. You need to learn your direction. I, I think you did something wrong. You tried to educate me on the uptown and downtown of... I did that walk on the way home after I went there. That was were, I was home with it in less than 15 minutes. Was, I even took a, I had even longer to go. The difference was you were drunk and you couldn't account for time. <laughs> well, there is that difference. Those margaritas at Baby's All Right are really good. Anyway, I'm back. I'm now sick. I got Ebola in Brooklyn, just like Jesse joked about, except it came true. And, uh... This is our last episode. You can... <laughs> well, I hope you haven't been running around Philadelphia spreading it. I have. I've been giving it to all the crust punks because I hate them. And uh, it's been a good day. <laughs> I hope you, you spared their dogs, though. Oh, of course. Of course. You can, you can check out our crust punk pictures at offtherecord.fm. We're on, <laughs> we're on everything there. You can leave us questions about your band or about your life or about how you find what Jesse says to be offensive, but how you find what I say to be awesome, off the record.fm. And to get right into it this week, um, what's going on with Bandcamp, Jesse? So Bandcamp has added a follow button, which um, doesn't seem like a big deal to anybody who's been using um, SoundCloud for years since SoundCloud has kind of always been about the follow button of that, like, an idea I like, which is that you can open up your uh, SoundCloud and you can see which of your favorite acts have put up new music. Now, sadly, I wish all my favorite acts actually did this so that it would be way easier for me to stay in touch because RDO and Spotify, I don't think, do the best job of delivering this stuff to us, even though they have a system for it. I feel like SoundCloud is the best deliverable system, but I think this is a big step because... As we all know, all the cool bands post their stuff to Bandcamp. I mean, I feel like it's like almost a mark of how cool and DIY you are if you prefer Bandcamp over putting your music on iTunes and Spotify. And Would even you like not agree? Epitaph. No, Epitaph even just like put their whole catalog on Bandcamp. Obviously, Jade Tree did a few months ago. Uh, Bridge, or not Bridge Nine. Deathwish put all their stuff up there not too long ago. Like, now even like the bigger, cooler indie labels are, I don't want to say caving because I think it's a good monetary solution. They're everyone now. It seems oh, it's like called it adapting. Yeah, yeah, adapting. It took a while and now like there are less labels that could be there that are not there. I will say that some labels can't because of their distribution deal. It seems like any label that well, can. Well, but that's weird because it's because the epi but Epitaph has ADA, who's the biggest distributor, and they must have found some way to do that with them. And aren't you guys on JTree on ADA too? Well, the thing is, <laughs> um, I assume like what we wanted to do and what we did do, and I assume what Epitaph probably wanted to do is be like, "Hey, ADA, you guys don't get a cut of the of the money that we're getting through this." So it's just like we truly get a hundred percent of the income. Then we split it with the band for royalties. But instead, like there's sometimes because you have to think about it this way, like sometimes a distribution deal doesn't include all forms of future media, and so like how the Bandcamp Bandcamp works a little differently than iTunes. So sometimes just new deals have to get added, like in an addendum or something like that. 
and sometimes it can be a fight over that, even though it seems really simple. Um, like Jade Tree had to figure out legal stuff for a few weeks before they could hit the go live button, I think. So it just seems that like everyone has gotten over the hump. Oh, also, it yeah, takes a while. Like a label like Epitaph has, I don't even know how many records they've put out. It can take a while. You know, it can take a few intern hours to definitely. I, I, like, I would call that a few intern months. And then you have to get all the metadata right. You got to think of a label like Epitaph that has proper. Yeah, that you have to deal with your uh, your barcodes and your ISRCs. And for anyone that doesn't know what that is, like you have a barcode digitally for your release, which helps you track the sound scan. And then you have individual ISRCs, which are codes for individual songs. And each of those helps track how many you've sold. And then Bandcamp reports those to SoundScan. So not only do you have to up, not only do you have to upload all the media in WAV files, you then have to upload the artwork, you have to do credits correctly, yada, yada. And then you also, per song, have to put in ISRCs and then UPCs, barcodes, for each release too. It takes so long. I like I really don't know how many epitaph records there are. It has to be th- like a thousand, so you know. Um so that it's it's cool though. Like I feel like they were kind of the last timber and now we're here. At least in uh the punk genre, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, in the punk world. It's a, it's a the band camp is not quite as popular with my weirdo dance music. That SoundCloud and uh Beatport are much more popular. Yeah, SoundCloud, yeah, I, I mean I've never I definitely know of Beatport, but I've never, like, explored it. SoundCloud obviously seems like hip-hop and um, dance stuff or just any kind of remix stuff I think hip-hop is very popular in Bandcamp, too, funny enough. I think, you know— Is it? I think this is the thing is, is Bandcamp has really become where the underground goes to easily communicate with each other. But, you know, if you're just some guy who's trying to be the next um, young Jeezy or whatever cheesy mainstream um, rapper, no, you're not going there. But if you respect cool underground rap, you're going right to Bandcamp and doing it, and that's where you're going to connect, and that's where your community is. Yeah, totally. Uh, I like, I mean, Bandcamp's so cool. I just, uh, obviously, like what Run For Cover does, and we've talked about this before, when something leaks, everyone supports it, and then it's at the top of the charts. It's a really cool way, I think, too, to have something meaningful charting without having to like fight Taylor Swift for a chart position on the week your album comes out, you know? It just seems like a natural thing where, hey, like I have no problem with Taylor Swift doing well, but I'd like to see a community of bands in the punk world do well too. It's like a it's an underground version of iTunes charting, and that can do a lot. I, I definitely know that people check out those charts every week or a few times a month to see what's what and if they should check out anything new. It definitely helped modern baseball out a lot. I don't know if it does a whole lot for pop punk bands, but like Knuckle Puck have been up there and it's really cool. It's definitely like, it feels cool to see that in an underground world compared to something like iTunes. Like something like that just seems like we're supporting this band somewhere where that support may be more tangible than on iTunes. Yeah, well, I think it does help pop punk bands because I think the other thing, and we've kind of gotten into this in the past, is is that searching Bandcamp tags is how you find your community. And I think one of the biggest things is that clicking the New Jersey tab, if you're from New Jersey, and seeing who else is out there that you could be playing shows with is a big thing. Like clicking the pop punk tag is the way you can find bands. To be honest with you, when I get passionate and I'm like, man, I really want to make a great record with a great band, I search the pop punk tag every once in a while 
And if I find something good, I might write that band and say, hey, I'd love to make a record with you. You don't search to defend pop punk oh, group? Oh, God. I don't, I don't, I, I, you know, I was going to say before, but uh, the, I didn't want to get off topic that, you know, I don't hope for the best for Taylor Swift. I hope after that New York song she did, she gets Ebola and prove that she's a real New Yorker. <laughs> and uh, I also hope the whole defend pop punk group gets Ebola too. Did you see what happened? Did you see my new, uh, did you see the new alternative property of Zach website? I, I saw Property of Hack. Property of Hack is a new competitor. Now that Pop Fresh has removed themselves from um, fake pop punk, I have a new competitor called Property of Hack who claims that he's actually not trying to troll us. He's not trying to compete with us. He just thought it'd be funny. Yet it's completely legitimate and we'll all see that. I have no I have no ill will for Property of Hack. He didn't even get the logo right that he tried to rip off. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna go for it, like Go for it. It is a pretty good name. It is great. I'm, I've never, oddly enough, no band has ever said that to me. What a ge- I've never even thought of that. What a genius thing. So, so with Muse Formation, uh, I'd get all the time, ha, 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 Muse Disinformation. You're so wrong about this. That's terrible. Yeah. I well, mean, that's, that was definitely true, but like, not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, but to get back on point where we wandered, with the follow button, I just wanted to say quickly that you were mentioning with SoundCloud, it's really helpful. Like, we don't promote that for Properties Act, but just because of everything we've streamed, like even Properties Act, SoundCloud, which we, which we promote very passively, like not at all, has a lot of followers. And now that you can like retweet stuff on SoundCloud, anytime there's an episode of Off the Record, I repost it on the Properties Act SoundCloud. I, de- I know people have checked it out because of that. And like our SoundCloud page gets 47 to 55,000 plays a week just because of all the tracks we have built up over the past five years. So I think SoundCloud is really interesting and just kind of hard to know where they're going to move because it just seems like they don't know what they're doing yet. But like Property Zach has 2,300 followers and we don't promote it at all. It's just there. So I, I really like, I think SoundCloud's great. It, it, I've been using it since since the first year of Property of Zach. Um, I don't know. To me, it's kind of interesting. A lot of people use SoundCloud, just, you know, a lot of labels, a lot of websites, a lot of bands, whatever, just use SoundCloud to premiere a new song. I'm kind of, I've never done this either. So it's not like I'm being, I'm not saying any, I'm not attempting to be a hypocrite because I'm not like criticizing anyone. But at the same time, I've always been interested about like, well, why don't you premiere your song on Bandcamp then, and then so if someone streams your song on Absolute Punk and they like it, they can just literally buy it from In Absolute Punk versus being on SoundCloud and then trying to have to find it on Bandcamp or on iTunes or something like that. But that's kind of a different conversation, I guess. Well, but that's a conversation I think we want to have, and I think we could tie this all together, at least I'll try to. And um, I think what's really interesting is that, yes— Bandcamp is one of the places that you should always be driving your fans to. And I say this in the book because, one, even if you're giving away your music for free, you can get an email address for it, which is, as we know, one of the most valuable things, maybe even more valuable than actually just getting a dollar from a fan, is to get their email address so you can stay in touch and tell them when you're playing a show because you might be get a dollar fifty off the door when you play the show. Um, or you'll sell a record in the future, or you'll sell records to them throughout your career. So this follow button is also interesting because then it's also like, hey, 
they're going to hear every time you do something, if they're an active Bandcamp user, you're actually going to start a relationship. And the most important thing that you can be doing as a musician is starting relationships with fans that last a long time and that you keep going with. I think that's one, a great point that you should be streaming with Bandcamp instead of SoundCloud. Now, I did notice that you premiered a record in the last week that did have a SoundCloud stream instead of a Bandcamp stream, Zach. That, and that I fully, yeah, I fully agree. Like, that, it just seems to be a practice. And now that we're just talking it through, like, why wouldn't we try this in the future? I don't know why. Uh, so, no, that's that, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, just thinking, thinking, talking it through. It's like, well, if someone likes it and is listening and they, they just see it's on Bandcamp rather than SoundCloud, like, maybe we can turn some of those over into purchases or just support or, you know, like, give us a dollar or something, you know? I, I'm, I'm with it. And, like... Um, I think the other thing to say is, is like, and then like, it's very funny that, you know, we all laugh when somebody premieres a song. Like if somebody's like, and it's up on our MySpace streaming, like we all have a good laugh in the little music business, Twitter punditocracy that we have. But I thought it was funny that Run the Jewels, who's uh, LP and Killer Mike's project, uh, that it has a very esteemed record that everybody I know is just losing their mind over this record, but they premiered it on Facebook. And that seems like such a laugh in 2014. And I think that that's the thing is, it is smart to premiere your stuff on Bandcamp, and it's not so smart to just... And yeah, like, you know, people could also follow you on SoundCloud, and there's buy links on SoundCloud and stuff like that. But I do think it's true that probably the smartest way, like, and you know, a lot of people ask me, like, how do we premiere the song? I think YouTube and I think SoundCloud, or, or I should say YouTube and Bandcamp are the smartest ways that you could do your song premiere right now, now that we're ta- talking about yeah. it. I taught Jesse all about what Run the Jewels is this week. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. He had no idea, and it was crazy <laughs> to me. I was just like, I thought this was the shit you knew and the shit you had to teach me about. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Turns out, uh-huh. I was way more educated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I still don't get it. Um, <laughs> I think SoundCloud, I'm sorry, no, I, SoundCloud, I think there is that advantage because there is a clear buy button, but at the same time, if you can get away with doing it on Bandcamp, to me, that is the better solution. Um, YouTube is obviously also so great because there's the chance that potentially millions and millions of people find it because it has more plays that might not find it otherwise. Also, there's ad revenue versus on SoundCloud. At this point, um, there's no ad revenue or anything like that. Um, hopefully, there will be one day or hopefully some somehow people can get paid for their tracks or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but do you really want your fan listening to an ad while they're experiencing your record for the first time? Like, I think that that's actually another Well, it doesn't need so. to be a full 30-second ad. It could just be, you know, one of those little YouTube pop-up things on the that you can just click X out of while uh, the video is playing. Uh, that's not what I want to experience while I'm exper- doing an I album. I mean, are, what if it's just like an album stream with the album cover on it? It's not like you're looking at, like you're listening to that on YouTube in the background. Sure, I, I I do do get that, but at the same time, I mean the other thing is is that YouTube stream sounds so terrible compared to SoundCloud and Bandcamp. I think what's great about YouTube, personally, is that one you can use the description box to send fans somewhere else. Two, if you're really smart and you're using Top Spins, one of their tools that'll allow you when you put uh, it's called Download Anywhere. It'll put a bo- light box above the YouTube thing, and you could actually get your fans to type their email address in and trade them a download of the song. 
um, from the link you send them to, and they'll sign up for your email list. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's a really cool, cool tool that uh, Topspin has with that stuff. So in that way, YouTube's great. But the other thing is, too, is let's be honest. What most of the goal is, especially if you're a band without a huge fan base, um, and basically anybody who's listening to this, is you want fans to share your music and having a good video is going to be the way people share your music um, overall, always. So You're saying music video? Yeah, like if you have a great video and everybody's like, hey, this video really matched the song, what more way are you going to have if they like your song and they like your video, they're going to pass it on to their friends, they're going to post it on social networks. Not as quite as likely if they just like the song a lot. Totally. It sucks. I, video, I mean, it doesn't suck, but like, Music videos are just so often so bad. Yeah. It's, it's like it's so hard to make a good music video. We got really lucky with the Knuckle Puck video we did. It's got, you know, it has like since June, it has like 135,000 plays. It essentially has 1,000 plays a day, which is insane to me because that's a success in my mind. But we could have done something that we thought was equally good and it could have 10% of those views, you know, and it's just like, the music video thing is just so difficult because do you just shit something out even if it's not fantastic to just say, hey, here's a music video? A lot of people do. I think most bands and most labels do that. Um, the music video thing to me is so tricky because now I've personally been a part of something that has benefited a band that I've worked with, but also like me personally, I probably watch like less than 10 full music videos a year. Oh, wow. I, wa I, wa I, wa I watch more than that, but not as much as most people. But I will say this, though. Like, when I hear everybody saying, you know, Greg, example, we talked about that little Dicky video. Like, I think that's one of the best music videos made in forever. But not everybody can be funny with their music videos. Some bands are serious, so then some bands aren't serious enough or don't have enough depth. Like, I think, like, the hardest thing is, is, like, when you're, like, kind of a serious emotional band. Like, let's take, like, a Touche Amour band type of band. Like, what really do you do for a music video for a band like that? Like, you can't be funny because it waters down your music. But if you're, like, too serious and you start posting, like, Karl Marx quotes or something in your music or, like, you know, getting all political or, like, putting a message in, like, Rise Against video, you're kind of like, eh, that's just not feeling right. And, like, you know, it's just like you're caught in the middle. When I was in, like, sixth grade, I was watching MTV and Rise Against premiered a video that was all, like, anti-cutting down trees. The, de the deforestation video. Was that, that was a very popular, yeah. very popular video. I think if I don't – I think I remember this correctly that the people who did those truth videos actually uh, directed those for them. I When I saw that, I was like, yo, this is too heavy for me. I'm in, like, sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I think when I was in sixth grade, Living Color premiered this cult of personality video that was all about, um, you know, like political figures. And me being the political nerd that I am, even I was like, nah, I'm out, dude. Yeah, it's just tricky, uh, especially with like bands that can't be fun. And that doesn't mean you can't be in a band that you have to be serious all the time. But like you were saying, something like Touche, like also if those songs are like an average of two minutes, how much storyline can you get done? Like you know, just et cetera. Like the things just build up. And with me, you know, like here's a very timely example. Circus Survive just released a new music video for the first song off of their album. I'm going to listen to that song later because I really want to hear it. 
But I know by the time that music video kicks in within 30 seconds, I'm going to be in another tab on my browser listening to the song while that's just off in the background. That's to me like when anyone talks about like no one has the attention span for anything like that doesn't ring true to me for anything except music videos because I just don't have the attention span for whatever reason to watch something like that for four minutes. Uh, I get like maybe that's like pathetic of me. But that just seems to be my, at least how I operate. And I wonder if I'm the odd one out like it is when it comes down to streaming music or using iTunes or if a lot of people are like that, actually. I think that's the interesting thing because, like, let's also take about this statistically. Every time a survey is done about music discovery, that the number one way people discover new music is via YouTube. Now, some of that is because when we type in the thing of, like, when your friend's like, hey, you should listen to uh, this song – a lot of time we'll just click video and click that tab. But two, there's also a thing that people discover. You know, it's really funny. The other night I was hanging out with my roommates and uh, my girlfriend, and they were talking about some metaphysical stuff that I don't really care about. So I, I, I went on the Vivo app, and I put on a really cheesy dance song, and I didn't realize on the Vivo app, once it's done, it shows you an ad, and then it suggests a song to you. I really liked the song suggestion, and I discovered a new band that I'm a big fan of. And so that is another are you, way people discover. Are you not like, are you not like, um, that doesn't like, to you that wasn't like, God, I'm never going to check this out. You actually were like, I'll check this out. Well, I, I think I actually just did find another song I wanted to listen to fast enough and the next one that came on was actually good. <laughs> so it was kind of an accident, but hey, I, you know, I now like uh, the song uh, from Cruella, which I'm a little embarrassed to say because the band's really cheesy. For what, wait, is that the? Isn't that a girl? Like Cruella? It's, two, it's, it's two girls and a dude, dude. Get get hip to your neon uh, dance music. <laughs> but uh, I will fully admit it's terrible, but I really like it. Yes, I don't think that you and I are average, but I also don't think that we're discouraged, too, is that like... I, I will fully also say that there's every once in a while when I fall in love with the band and I have a big problem that a lot of time I can't with the type of music I like. I don't always know where to go next because I, I don't have a property of Zach to go to for weirdo dance music. If I am listening to Sophie, who's this somewhat obscure dance act, and I want to hear something else like Sophie, I might actually click some of those tabs in the YouTube window if I've heard the name before. And I'm like, oh, I'm curious what that person sounds like. I've also seen their name. And so that is how I discover music on YouTube, and which is also important of why you get your views up on YouTube and why you tag your YouTube videos properly. And you get people to click like on your YouTubes because then you get suggested in other bands' videos and then other people discover you like me. Yeah, for me, I don't know. I'm so jaded to the world. Of, like, <laughs> that sounds dumb, but I just feel like I've been burned by like, here is a random metalcore band that looks like a pop punk band that actually, or like, you know, or reversed. It's just like, I don't want to deal with you. Um, but maybe that's just me. Um, I like that though. That's the thing. Like it does, it just because I am not the use case, it clearly works both for like the band and the listener. So I can't, it's not like I'm against it or anything. It's just not my use case. Um, so so we, we, we kind of went on a good tangent here, but you know what? We didn't answer a question that we wanted to talk about, which I think is a sad question now that we just extolled how much we love Bandcamp, is does Bandcamp have any chance of being worth anything to anybody um, when Spotify Beats and RDO are lowering their rates, they're getting more people to sign up, and 
let's be honest. Like, you know, it's like we were even talking about the thing of like trading an email for a download. Like people are starting. Like, I, I think we've discussed this on the show before that, like, I don't have two hours of music downloaded to my phone because I just stream everything. I just don't know that Bandcamp really has much of a shot when everybody's going to want to just listen to everything on Spotify, Beats, or Audio. And so isn't that bad if they're making the superior interface for us? I don't know. Like, I kind of feel like this is something that needed to happen last year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel me, that way about me, a lot of Bandcamp's progress. As somebody yeah, who's been kind of like, confusing. Like, why, I'm on five and doing? a half years of covering Bandcamp now as a blogger. And every time they announce a feature, I am kind of always like, well, that would have been really great a year and a half ago. And I'm sure that I'm also just a little too far into it, just as you're a little too far into it I with Band Discover. I don't think so. Like it does, cause, uh, I don't know. This bums. It's kind of hard to like, whatever the phrase is. Like, what if you want to like say it's a back street, back street drive, back seat driver, whatever. Like we, you know, oh, we I, I, I like back street driver. Is that like your fan <laughs> club for the Backstreet Boys you started? It was. It was. <laughs> you know, it wasn't. You know, it's not like we're in the company. We know exactly what's going on. We know exactly what we've been, they've been working on and all that stuff. But at the same time, like, to me, I don't know what I've seen from Bandcamp since the first time that Man Overboard album leaked from to today. That's all that different. Like, obviously, there are differences. They do stuff more with pre-ordering now. They do, like... The tags are, are better. The, the backers thing is really cool. Right. And, you know, they've sort of knocked out what like a lot of like Apple people call like the low hanging fruit. Like what, like what are the most needed features for sure that we need to get out of the way? You know, Mm -hmm. like the easy stuff, the people, the things that people are clamoring for. And to me, this just seemed like one of those. And look, I don't know how hard it is to implement. I don't know how long it takes. I don't know how long it took to code or whatever. Right. But at the same time, like this is something that if they had this two years ago, when streaming was foreign to someone like, my friend of a friend who is not me or you, like that's when it needed to happen. But now, like now that like Spotify is not foreign to the majority of people that could potentially use Bandcamp, like I think that's the that's the important differentiator. Like you know, a couple years ago when Bandcamp was being used by punk kids or whatever, Spotify wasn't necessarily yet. And at this point. Most of my friends just use Spotify. They're not necessarily listening to people on Bandcamp or they're they're checking anything out first on Spotify rather than Bandcamp. And it just feels like to me, like I'm not saying Bandcamp is doomed. I don't think that's the case at all. But at the same time, why wasn't this feature there two years ago when everyone else had it? And also like SoundCloud's had it almost since day one. Yeah, not not really day one, but let's call it years ago yeah yeah it's been been quite a while and i think that's the other thing too is is like man i would switch from rdo in a heartbeat to beats or spotify if they gave me soundcloud of groups i've listened to let's say i had a preference that said if i listened to this band more than five times put them in automatically in a feed for me on a page um, I would instantly, instantly, instantly be in. Especially if, let's say they just made a feature, automatically follow, put this band in a stream if I've listened to this song, more, one of their songs more than three times. Now, that sucks for somebody like me who works with music and every once in a while I have to reference Chris Brown songs because some idiot wants me to make their master sound like that. 
overall, as a consumer, that would be amazing. And I could always just know when somebody I like is doing something new and why this isn't a top priority for these companies. I don't get it. Yeah. I, don't, I just, I don't know. This is the thing. Like, Bandcamp has its role. And its role, in my mind, is really important. And I think to bands and labels of smaller size, it's really important as well. But how Spotify, not Spotify, how Bandcamp can add to that role and make them more important to my daily life or run for covers daily life or music fan that's 17 year old's daily life. Like, I don't know how they do that now, which means I don't know how they grow beyond what they're doing. And that's kind of the issue, you know? That's kind of the bummer. That's kind of the like, well, I just don't know what you guys are doing kind of thing. Um, so I don't I, – this is the thing. Like Spotify, RDO, as far as we have seen, as far as we have heard, are not trying to compete with Bandcamp and what Bandcamp does. However, I just think Bandcamp could have done a little better earlier competing or just having a leg up on those other platforms. And now that those other platforms are so – quote-unquote, like, mainstream in knowledge to fans or to people or music lovers. Like, I just don't know how Bandcamp grows in a, in a new direction. I think that's a great way of, do, of saying it. Aside from, I think that there is an interesting thing with Bandcamp, though, too, which is the name your own price tool, is that as everything goes towards streaming and as we see people still complaining about the way musicians are paid, well, one thing we have to remember is Bandcamp is used as a tip jar for a lot of musicians, is that... Let's say our friend uh, Shoshana is playing, putting on her ukulele record. Somebody really finds Shoshana's music just so inspiring, but no one else gets it. And that person has disposable income. They could pay $2,500 for Shoshana's record. I mean, they could pay $250,000. And Shoshana will get 50, 10%. She'll get 90% of that, and Bandcamp will get 10%. The IRS will also get a lot of that. But... I think it's interesting that what Bandcamp, I think, will stand as is a tip jar for musicians and a way for people to pay for the musicians they want to support. Now, do I think there's better ways for people to do that, like Patreon? Absolutely, but not every musician's smart enough to be on That's Patreon. That's exactly either. what I was going to say. I was just going to be like, well, why wouldn't I use Patreon <laughs> or whatever? But so, uh, but in the meantime, that is a viable way where you can pay to support bands. And truth be told, there's been... I want to say three times I've paid bands a good amount of money on Bandcamp, way more than what their record costs, because I really enjoyed their music and I stole it. Yeah, I just want to say, like, the thing to me is, like, when, like, because I was going to bring up Patreon too, and it's like, now those platforms each exist, and that's good for the other, maybe, to help competition for each of them. At the same time, Bandcamp could have just came out with that potentially a few years ago and just made it a note like made that the one-stop area for musicians you know and they could have just owned that and they don't and that to me like that's where the bummer is maybe they don't have enough staff members maybe their priorities are different whatever like and it's not my job at the same time though it's just like this is the low like hang the low bearing fruit and if they just picked it i think they would be way more they they have just grown a lot more as a service. I would be I would be using them more as a service than you know that I'm just not because they they just don't own the space. Like they have these features now though, and it's like, well, why am I going to follow someone on Bandcamp necessarily? I don't know that I am. Like I may, but I just I don't I haven't felt the desire to. You know I haven't as soon as as soon as I read that that was going to be a thing, I didn't go and follow anyone. <laughs> I did not either, and I probably I follow. Every one of my favorite musicians on SoundCloud that I find. 
Right. So, like, that's a that's a problem. You know, like we're we're the, uh, you know we might not be the use case to to whatever to, 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 whatever, be, to measure right? a pod, but yeah. But however, though, what I was going to say is like we are the use case that we would go follow everyone and try it out. Sure, I think. And well, we're definitely but, early adopters. Yes. Right. So the fact that we didn't is like uh, I don't yeah. know why we didn't, but we didn't, and that's probably not good for them. Great point. So now that we beat that into the ground, let's talk about nostalgia and teenage years since you and I love, well, I particularly like laughing at how bad your music taste is about what you loved as a teenager. You know what, Jesse? How long ago were you a teenager? Uh, uh, 18 years. I, I you're, exactly you're double my bitter, age, man. double my age that I was a teenager. So half my life ago, I was born. You're just a bitter old man. Uh, it's not the first time that's been leveled at me. Wow. Oh, huh. okay. I'll just keep that coming the rest of the show as you make fun of me. <laughs> I mean, what makes Jesse feel most like a teenager is a band called Just Surrender. Oof. I was way older than a teenager than when that band was around. There's an article on Slate about this um, called Neural Nostalgia. Nostal- nostalgia. Nostalgia. Yeah. Nostalgia. Um, and it, the writer just... The writer is going through his 20s and he discusses the kind of music that if he listens to on the top, let's just say top 40 today, that might give him a headache. But if that music was on the top 40 10 years ago when he was my age 10 years ago, let's just say, how old was I 10 years ago? 11, that might stick with him and he might love that today. I don't know if I can comment on this without getting punched by people like 10 years older than me, but... Jack Antonoff's a really interesting person in my mind where he loves the 90s. Like, everything he writes about is the 90s. He thinks the 90s is the greatest thing of all time. Music, TV, everything, everything, everything. I don't know if that's legitimate. I don't know if people from the 80s say, I love everything about the 80s, 80s, 80s. But it's just funny to me because he has a loud voice because he's popular where everything I've listened to him about his Bleachers record has been like an ode to the 90s, which is cool. I don't have a problem with that. At the same time, I don't know that I feel that way about any time period. But anyway, back to this article. Portions of it talk about how your neurons and your brain just kind of react better when you're younger and uh, what what you feel in those teenage, those growth and teenage periods of your life. Obviously, like you feel emotions pretty strongly as you start to feel emotions deeply for the first time, and those stick with you maybe more than they do when you're an old man like Jesse. So when you hear something <laughs> like that, when you hear the Backstreet Boys and you loved them when you were six, you might be like, yeah, the Backstreet Boys rule. But then you might hear Justin Bieber and you might be like, that sucks. Um, and that's my way of, re- of, this, of summarizing this article that you can find in the show notes at offtherecord.fm. Jesse, are you a nostalgic person? I'm not compared to most people I know. I think I'm very much in the future. But you, you know what I found very relevant to this discussion? So as we were talking about as you and I hung out this weekend, when I was coming home at night, I have a friend who's going through a very horrible experience. and I read one of their texts on my way home. I got very, very depressed. And I'm somebody who's almost never depressed. Um, as an adult, I noticed I'd no longer like as I was scrolling drunkenly through my playlist, trying to find music to go home on my walk to that all the stuff I went for was like, for example, Archers of Low Vicky Metal, a record I discovered at 15. Um, Elliot Smith, either or I think I was 21 or 22 when I discovered that record. So these are all records that are 
a long time, nearly half my life ago, that I turn to when I'm feeling emotional. Some of that, I think, also has to do with the fact that I've been happy for a very long time, pretty much since I was 19. So when I think of the uh, mood of depression, I'm going to go back to that. But I think there is a thing that we're all emotionally dying a little bit one day at a time, and we're not having those songs that we feel like nostalgic for even as like you know like it's kind of funny like i can look back and like i was having a particularly fun and like i I always call my music of reawakening was like around like when i was 28 where i had like this second burst where i just fell so in love with music again um after having a couple of years of being really burnt out of from working on it and yeah, I have some nostalgia for some of those songs, and they really hold it. But yeah, it's never the same as those crazier emotions of when you're young. And I think that's just the thing is, is like you almost it's like the same, we've discussed this on the podcast a few few times before that I have that theory of that, like one of the reasons people identify with Kurt Cobain is because he felt so much more than everybody else. And he had such more intense emotions. And I think that we gravitate towards these things where we had these intense, intense emotions. I think that that's some of the nostalgia, but um, I also think there's poisonous things about this, but uh, I'll let you retort and then we'll get into that. I used to know like dates for everything that was important to me. I, you know, you could say like, uh, what happened on December Sorry, not December. What happened on February 15th, 2008? And I would tell you on that day, I went to see my first ever show. And something like that might, everyone could potentially remember. But I would be able to know, like, like even now, if you ask, like, I can remember almost like every tour lineup I've seen. If you say, like, did you see Band X in April of this year? Like, I can probably tell you that. I used to, because I think I used to be, well, I know I used to be like a pretty depressed kid. Like, uh, I would remember these days that had uh, tremendous meaning and experience to, and like, you know, importance to me. And that also translated pretty well into music. I think we were talking on your couch the other day, maybe while recording a spare episode of a podcast that one day you people will hear where I was like, one of my most important musical moments. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were talking about the first time I ever heard Daisy by Brand New. And not to give too much away from the episode, but just the the moment where in Vice's, the first song, where the uh, the church hymn bursts into the very loud, distorted guitars. Like, that is a musical moment for me that I'll never forget. That's a little different because it startled me. But like there, there are just these moments in music where I'll never forget, and there are so many of them, more than anything else in my life kind of thing. And to me, it's kind of hard. I think I want to talk to you a little more before I can necessarily give a definitive answer. But like the way I discovered music, and uh, I don't, and I, I have been thinking about this a lot. Eventually, I'm going to write about it on the site, and then we'll probably talk more about it here. But like somewhere, someone said this, where it was like I discovered music in real time, and. That didn't mean in 2007 I was listening to All Time Low. That meant when I was nine, my best friend showed me some 41 and Blink-182. And then a few years later, I was listening to Newfound Glory. And a few years later after that, I was listening to Brand New and Taking Back Sunday. And after that, Armor for Sleep. And then after that, like All Time Low. And like and not music in real time in the air, in the years I was living life, but more like the, the progression of music when it was released followed by its follow-up and then that follow-up and just how music in our scene progressed. And because of that, I feel very closely 
to music in a in a in like a cycle as I grew because to me it wasn't like I was not listening to Blink One Eighty Two and All Time Low at the same time for the first time. I could have been, but that I didn't know that existed. I truly was just. I felt like I was growing up with this music, some of which had been out for 10 years or, or five years or six years already, but I just wasn't experienced to it. So to me, like, I feel like as I grew up, I found all this music and I am not nostalgic for it fully because I'm also just 21 years old. But at the same time, like, I feel, I feel truly attached to it because I wasn't listening to all this hodgepodge of stuff at once. It felt very like, I found this band, I grew, I matured, and then I found the next band that came two years after them, and I grew and matured. I don't know if any of that makes sense. No, it makes sense. What I will say, though, that I think is, like, a funny thing is, is that I think, yeah, there is this, like, weird thing that we all get, like, nostalgic for even things that we weren't totally crazy about. Like, you know, I find very funny is, like, a lot of my adult friends, we really like, like, um... This, like, stuff that was played in, like, roller skating rinks when we were young, even though we were like, this shit sucks, like, I want to go listen to Guns N' Roses, I can't believe they played Savannah the Fox. Now we're all nostalgic for it, we want to listen to music that sounds like that. I think this is, like, also, like, one of the funny things is that, like, this is one of the bad things about music. Like, I talk about this, actually, um, in a couple of things I've written, which is, like, you know, there's a lot of people who were raised who were hearing Share Believe in Life After Love and hearing the all those like badly auto-tuned records of the early 2000s who are now in influential bands and don't mind the sound of like a really terrible auto-tune job. And like people, I, I won't be the first person to make the joke that like when everybody's talking about the grunge revival, like I have one friend who like always teases me. He's like, I can't believe you worked at that fucking shit band basement. They're part of the grunge revival. I fucking hate grunge. And you know, I love basement and I love a lot of this grunge revival stuff, but like, the good point to make is is after a grunge is new metal, and that's a bad revival that I really don't want to see happen. And then strokes. New metal revival is here, dude. I mean, like, it's not. No, see, this is the thing. It's just only starting. It's not yeah, here. It's not here. But, it's, but it's, we it's, know it's, it's here. Yeah, no, no. Like basically, like right now, what we're seeing is is the break of dawn. Like a new metal revival. New metal revival is going to be a blistering sun of cancerous UV rays soon enough my thing is is that some of this nostalgia especially because i have this theory that when we're young we also tend to we're in need of so much emotional support for music that we listen to a lot of bands that really suck and then we get pickier but then we're still nostalgic for them so we kind of like some things about them like you know like you and i were talking before we started taping about you know how often it's hilarious that you know, a band I never saw draw a hundred people now are reuniting and drawing, you know, 150 people. Like I, we were at a show the other night and I'm like, oh my God, you got to be kidding me that this band who never ever had, I never saw them play to 40 people now of 150 people they're showing, they think they should reunite. I think there's this thing of that, all this nostalgia for mediocrity doesn't help us move forward in getting better music all the time. I think there's like some interesting things of like with this grunge revival of like, I think some bands like, you know, who's a great example is uh, I think uh, Super Heaven actually do a lot of the grunge stuff better than a lot of the grunge bands, like with the way they tune their guitars. And I think they optimized some of the sound to make it even better. And the same thing with Basement is that like there's some cooler things that those bands are doing than the original hum grunge 
failure type bands that I think m- music evolved on. But then like there's so many much of this that just it's like the nostalgia thing. It just it makes it so watered down. And like I when I see people, I think I saw Jeff from Run for Cover one time tweet about like letters for Cleo. It's like, dude, that band fucking sucked. And everybody wanted and like I think that's the thing I'm trying to say is there's so many bands that any of us who were conscious and cool about music wished were blown off the face of the fucking earth and was what everybody who was doing something cool was rebelling against. And somehow that's lost and those bands are being brought up in the revival. And that, that's weird to me. Okay, so I this works into the joke I mentioned before and something on Twitter last week. My favorite emo period is, is not quote-unquote emo. Let's not get in a fight about what emo is. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know... Like, two out of three of my favorite bands of all time are Taking Back Sunday and Brand New. However, like, my favorite, like, true period of emo comes, like, a little bit right after that, which is bands like Armor for Sleep. And a lot of people, like, hate Armor for Sleep if they're uh, older I, I, than, I'm, like, I'm right there. I'm, a, I'm in, I'm in <laughs> yeah, team. Yeah, you're hate. not a fan, and you're friends, I think. Yeah, 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 I, don't know. I, I, I like Ben a lot. I don't like that band's music. Yeah, that band changed my life, just, like, Straight up, like they were, they are one of the few bands where I can be like, and surely say like that band changed my life. And I love that band. I love everything about two of their albums and a lot of other stuff. And um, people look back on that, and I think like, oh, I can't believe I liked this. This was like a dark period of time, blah blah blah. But to me, like, I love it. Like, uh, I this is, I think this is the conversation I want to have, where, where it's like. I think a lot of times people grow out of music. Um, like they listen to, you know, a, and it's not just girls, but like a four, a fourteen year old girl when I was also fourteen liked All Time Low, and now they don't like All Time Low at all, and they like Super Heaven, and that's totally cool. There's nothing wrong with that. However, to me, like I liked All Time Low then, and I still like All Time Low now. There's not many bands that I was listening to when I was anywhere from. 14 to 21 where I grew out of. I just feel like for me, it's kind of hard. The The thing about nostalgia for me is, yeah, I can feel like, I don't necessarily feel nostalgia for music. I feel nostalgia more for moments or that have passed me. But a lot of, but like music, that music has always stayed with me. Like, that's the thing to me. I like, I like Armor for Sleep more, like just as much, if not more than I did back then when I first found them. Same for any, any really music, like, I don't give. I don't let go of music. If I liked it then, I still like it now. And I don't know if that means that I am not maturing as a human being, but I don't know. I think that says something personally to me about my music taste and how I grow with music. Like, well, okay. So let me be the old man and interject something. When I was twenty-one, I felt the same as you, but by the time I got to about twenty-seven, I didn't agree. So a great example is some of the most important bands to be growing up were Screeching Weasel. The Queers, there's this band, The Nobodies I loved, The Vindictives. Like, I loved that whole scene of pop punk. Screeching Weasel still has some a lot of songs that stand out, up to me. The Queers have a few, but almost all of those other bands, when I hear it, even though they were like my favorite, most passionate songs, I'd sit in the basement just screaming them all day, um, I have no nostalgia for them anymore. Um, because Do you think that, though, is because of, like... Ben Weasel. No, well, because keep in mind, I still love Screeching Weasel, even though he's a crazed, homophobic idiot. It's not that who they are, because I don't know anything about what the Vindictives or the Nobodies have gone on to do. Right. 
It's that it just doesn't stand up. And uh, to be honest with you, there's a lot of other bands that like I'd have on mixtapes that I like really loved back then that just don't do anything for me that were like really the most important bands in the world to me at 16 and 17, maybe even 15. But like, I don't know. It's, it's just weird to me. Like people, you know, like I was, this is not like a slight against hidden in plain view or anything, but I just don't. I never, I found, you know, someone recommended them to me a few years after I found Armor for Sleep or maybe a year or two, whatever. And obviously they reunited this year and I was never into the band. I just never got into it. To me, that felt like something truly that if I liked it when I got into Armor for Sleep, I actually would have stopped liking it. But I never got into it for that same reason. Mm-hmm. And and like there are bands like that where it's like, oh, I get it. I just, this is not for me. There are a lot of drive through bands where it's like, Back like back in the heyday where it's like, I get it, but it just wasn't for me or I missed this cycle. I missed this era. So I think I'm more curious now, like how you said, like when you're 21 to 27, you did grow out of stuff. Like Mm -hmm. not the stuff that I got into when I was 14 that had come out five years earlier or something, but rather all the stuff now. So because there's so because I am caught up in real time now, like I was saying, like I, I found I. I found music in real time or whatever. And now that there are 25 emo revival bands that I could all be listening to interchangeably, that's not like, you know, just for sake of conversation. Like, I wonder how many of those 25s, if any, I'll like or be listening to 10 years from now. There could be none. Yeah. And that, I think that's what I'm more curious about. Not when I was growing up, because I still all love that music more or as much as I did then. But I think now is actually that kind of time where since I consider myself in real time now, where it could start to shift there. Yeah, I, I, I can totally see it. And I think that there's, a, there's a funny thing I think about since you're somebody I talk to music with a lot is that I go back a lot and, you know, I listen to a lot of music history. And now while I'm famous for being one of those people and people get mad at me when I say this, is that if you erased all music before 1972, I'd be like, cool, I'm good, waiting for that hate mail. I think there's a thing that, too, that people don't always get with, like, nostalgia because you heard it, like, growing up or in a parent's car or just liking old and appreciating history. Like, you know, there's no nostalgia for me with, like, The Clash, but London Calling is my favorite album, even though it came out, I think, a year before I was born. I might be wrong about that. I should know that. I think the point I'd like to make is, is I get very worried that... For the sake of my own enjoyment of listening, that when this next wave of nostalgia comes, I really hate that whole late 90s auto-tuned heavy rock, post, post-grunge, butt rock, Nickelback. What's an example of that? Like Nickelback to like, I mean, I like the first Limp Bizkit record, so I can't say I don't really like corn. <gasps> Don't you think most of it has to come from an under mainstream thing, though? Like, okay, so let's let's take let's take what was going on in the underground in like the late nineties. Like, there's a like lot the, of terrible stuff. Like American football was like a rare exception, but like, what about the like all the like the, isn't that right now? Like the get up well, kids, yeah, Rowe, and I Mineral. think that, that, that's the funny thing is is like the early two thousands get up kids. Like, I like pre four minute mile get up kids. I don't like like that country record on a wire or whatever, that thing is terrible. But still, no one likes that record. <laughs> well, I mean, you must not hang out with the same people as me, obviously, but um, I know a lot of people like that record. But there's a bad, bad, sore period of music, I think, in there. And maybe it's just me, but, like, I just... And even if it is just me, 
I'm just like, please, let's not be nostalgic. I don't want bad auto-tune jobs. I don't want the bad Pro Tools, the life sucked out of early 2000s sore spot of music because I just don't like that period of music. I just yeah, don't. Yeah, I mean, to me, that to me would be like all the neon stuff following Fallout Boy, like, which I think will definitely make a comeback yeah. because it's because there's so much... I don't think it'll grow out of a money thing, but at the same point, it, this is how it kind of goes, right? It, it's all reactionary. Things are getting pretty dark right now. Not in like an actually dark way, but the grunge stuff, the emo stuff, whatever. Yeah, it's you definitely know, a more aggressive, de- depressive aggressive, thing. Yeah. yeah, there's aggressive pop punk stuff. There's nothing really light going on right now. And when things react to each other, they, they usually go in the complete opposite D- direction. Divergent so, streams, as we would call it. Yeah, so it won't just be normal pop punk. It'll be... Neony pop punk potentially, and I was never. That's the thing. Like I was never into that, save for all time low. So it's like, oh god, I don't know what's gonna happen. But well, I th- you know I think it's an interesting thing is where you go with that now is I I think that everybody got tired of that like vacuous part of punk now, and instead like what we see happening is if you're into that, you just go full on pop star. Because why even bother with the punk like when you could be making them checks by just get your swoop Keep hair get, to get to that get to that major label live off of it yeah and like then, uh, why bother with the punk mm-hmm. part of that like it's just like there's no sense and i you know like it's funny we say this because like you know our boys five seconds the summer they're kind of doing this is that you know that's what to me like now that i've heard that record a few times um it's like you know to me they're just that neon punk revival yeah that could be that i mean yeah we've talked about it like that could be the that could Flip. be the divergent stream from the the grunge and the everybody yeah. discovering how to do a really dark chord that when they're dr- in drop C. <laughs> so, do you have any recommendations? <laughs> oh God, that is a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Tuesday, October twenty eighth, the day this will come out, uh, is a really big release day. So I'm just on the property Zach albums out this week page. I'm just gonna say them really quickly. Have Mercy has a new album out. Knuckle Puck has a new EP out. Lagwagon, Lagwagon, Man Overboard, Pianos Become the Teeth, Rancid, Restorations, and the Smith Street Band all have new albums out today, the day you might be listening to this. Um, So just check one or two of them out. Um, I think there's a lot of good stuff. The Pianos Become the Teeth record is my third favorite album of the year at this point. I don't see that shifting. Uh, if you like the band, if you didn't like the band in the past because you couldn't deal with the screaming vocals, there are no screams on this album, and it is just oh wow! Now I want to hear it. It's insane. It is the also like, like don't be drinking while you listen to it, or you're gonna be fucked. It is so sad. Wow. <laughs> uh, it is so emotional. It is the perfect. I want to be sad, like, but it's not like a sad boy sad. It's like yo, this is depressing sad. Um, it is so good though, and I'm so excited to see what could happen with that band with this album because I think it's just incredible. So that is my big recommendation of the week. Well, I'm going so self promotional. Um, wow. I recorded. Wow, shocker! I've been good lately. <laughs> it's usually me that's bad. Yeah. So. <laughs> I recorded a really fun twee punk band called Romp from New Jersey. I think the EP is really really good. It's just cool band. First song is killer. Yeah, yeah. It's just. It's fun, simple punk, and it's great. I also did a really uh, cool, we'll call it twinkly emo band called Doxa. I mixed their record, and that's out too. I've only seen it posted on YouTube, though, so you're going to probably have to type in Doxa YouTube. 
Vortex. Get that on Bandcamp, guys. Oh, yeah. I think it, they, they probably have it on Bandcamp. They're smart. Um, but that's also really good, and you should check that out as well. Awesome. Thank you to everyone for listening to Off the Record this week. That's offtherecord.fm to check out show notes, to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter at Jesse Cannon. 